All right. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for our children's Christmas program. It's always a lot of fun, some unexpected things. Um, and thank you, kids, for doing such a great job. And I'll, uh, I'll, thank, I'll thank Rod for all of his hard work these last couple of weeks to make all of this happen. Uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's something. It's exciting to see kind of Christmas through the eyes of a child because Christmas really is, it's special. It is a special time of year, a special celebration. With that in mind, I have been asked with the, just the few moments remaining this morning just to reflect, take some time to reflect on what Christmas uh, really is all about and the hope, really the hope that Christmas brings. And I'll begin with a story. Um, I once heard this story a while ago. It always stuck with me. It's about, it's about this wonderful town, just picturesque kind of little town that was sort of nestled in you know, the heart of this beautiful valley. And the people there just loved their town to bits. There was great pride that everyone took in making that town their home. But as things often go, one day a bunch of engineers and experts showed up and they learned that the town was now actually the site, the proposed site of a, of a hydroelectric project. Um, the plan was that they would build a dam across the river that ran through town downstream and that the town and the entire valley the town was in would be submerged to create a lake in order to power the turbines. Well, when the project was announced, the people were given about a year's time to sort of manage their affairs, and, and everybody had to relocate. And you know, during that time, something curious happened. Because in that town, improvements to the homes, to the schools, to the businesses, it all ceased. And, you know, no painting was done, no repairs were made, you know, roads and sidewalks and fences and everything else was left really unattended. Day by day, the whole town just, it got shabbier and shabbier and shabbier. So that even months before even construction was to begin, the town that was once the pride of the people, it looked just uncared for, almost abandoned even though most of the people still hadn't moved away. And when someone was asked to explain how this once scenic town came to be in such a state, one citizen explained it like this. He said, where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. And I just want to reflect on the truth of those words, because without hope, there's no power for the present. There's, without hope, there's no motivation for living. With hope, without hope, there, you, you get to this place in your life where you just, you feel like there's no real reason to go on. If you don't have hope, it's not just the buildings that, that fall down and crumble, it's the people themselves who often feel like they're eroding away one day at a time. And yet, when you look around our world today, how many people do you know are living like that? They're living without hope. In fact, Instead of hope, what I see most around me is fear. I don't know if fear is exactly the opposite of hope, but it's got to be close. Hope these days seems to have been replaced by doom and gloom in our lives. And we have a lot of it. You know, global warming, inflation and recessions and wars and rumors of wars and sicknesses and pandemics. And there are people, when they hear that, they are paralyzed by the prospect of those things. You know, to so many people... 
any kind of hope in the future just feels like an unreal possibility because of all the stuff they think is going to go wrong. But, you know, even without that aspect of living in fear, there are people who are living their lives without hope because life's just become something where they're going through the motions. You know, so often you get up, you go to work, you get a paycheck, and you do it all again the next week. You, you just feel like you're just surviving. You're not thriving. Because you've not really found something to really live for. And it's not that people don't try. It's not that people don't want hope. And you'll hear people say things like, you know, I hope, I hope I get that job. I hope I eventually find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. I hope, you know, that, that these plans I've made work out the way I, I expect. Or the big one, I hope I win the lottery. But so often that kind of hope is, is really just wishful thinking. It's nothing more than really grasping at straws and hoping something works out. And for so many people, true hope, real hope, the kind of hope that actually makes a difference in their lives is something that just, it doesn't exist. And in many ways, that, that hopelessness actually describes the way people were feeling even generations before Jesus came. In fact, some of the most famous words about Christmas were written about 2,600 years before uh, Christmas actually happened, written by a prophet named Isaiah. And they were written to a people, a world that was in desperate need of hope. Because Isaiah actually uh, lived at a time of you know, great turmoil and uncertainty. Uh, if you know your Bible history, the, the ten northern kingdoms were, were, were wiped out and overrun by the Assyrian Empire and to all appearances, it seemed only a matter of time before the same fate would, would come upon Jerusalem itself. And the people were, were heavily taxed. The economy was in ruins. Enemy nations threatened them from invasion from all sides. And moral deterioration had corrupted every level of society at that time. And for Israel, for God's people, they found themselves in what could be really only be described as a bad place. It was a hopeless place. And yet it was into that hopelessness of that hopeless place that God sends them a promise of hope, a promise of a Savior. It's the promise of Christmas. And that promise is captured for us in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where we read those familiar words, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. God told the people in their hopelessness, the Messiah is coming. And this was to be God's champion, God's hero, God's savior for these people. This is the person that God you know, told them would, would come into their hopeless world and he would turn things around and give them a reason for living again. And maybe you might ask yourself, well, what do you think Israel was expecting when they heard those words? What do you think Israel was expecting from this Messiah that God would be sending? Well, I'm sure they probably thought maybe he, was a, he would be a mighty king, you know, who, who could rule over an empire, a kingdom of great power. Maybe they thought the Savior would be a powerful warrior, you know, prepared to lead Israel in a revolt against a, a sinful world. Or, you know, maybe they thought the Messiah would even come from the sky, you know, like an angel descending from heaven with an army at his back. And we don't really fully know what Israel was expecting and a Savior, but we do know what they got. Because Isaiah's words say, for unto us a child is born. 
And to tell you the truth, when I think about the person who could be the Savior for all men, all people, and make all things right, the last person I think I would pick would be a baby. Uh, babies are cute. That's it. <laughs> you know, they're pretty helpless. They, they can't lead armies. They, they don't hold political office. They, they can't manage an economy. Babies can't really do useful things. And yet God sent his Messiah, the hope of humanity, into this world in the form of a child. But we need to understand that this Savior was no ordinary child. Uh, even as Matthew's gospel tells us in one, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That child who was born at Christmas was no ordinary baby. The Savior that God sent was no mere man. He was literally the Son of God himself. God took on flesh that first Christmas. I was like Charles Swindoll. He was deity in diapers. And even though that child was not the Savior many people were expecting, he was exactly the Savior we needed him to be. And we read in the fuller passage of Isaiah 9, where it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. People, as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across, across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And I hope you heard some of what God is telling us there. I hope you caught the words of promise that the Savior is bringing. Joy, rejoicing, peace, justice, righteousness, light, security, freedom, victory. And we're told that those things will go on for all eternity because of Jesus. And you know, to people who are searching for hope, those are words almost too wonderful to believe. And that's what God delivered to us in Christ at Christmas. So is it any wonder, you know, that they waited so eagerly for the coming of the Messiah? Because really, what a difference Jesus makes. You know, Jesus is the difference. He's the difference between life and death. He's the difference between heaven and hell. He's the difference between being forgiven and condemnation. He's the difference between hope and hopelessness. Where once we were dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses, slaves to our flesh, living without hope. While we were sinners, Christ came to earth to die in our place. Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sin. The sin, the price that we could not pay so that we could be forgiven. He gave his own life for our own so that the end, in the end, we could know what life, eternal life, truly is. Jesus truly is our hope and our Savior. And that's why the angels showed up that very first Christmas to tell the news. 
you know, good news of great joy that will be for all people, that a Savior has been born to you. And even better is, you know, the news that we no longer have to wait for our Savior to come. When Isaiah first wrote his words, it would be 600 years before Christ was eventually born, before the people saw those words fulfilled. But now Christ has come, and the wait is over. So this Christmas, we should be getting, we should be excited about meeting our Savior once again, and not just on Christmas morning, but every day. Every day, Christ can be our joy and our peace and our hope. Every day, Christ is our Savior. And you know, seeing the kids up on this stage this morning, I'm reminded of, you know, Christmas is when I was a child. And on having, you know, best part of Christmas, waiting to open your presents and, you know, just wanting to dig into those gifts under the tree. Gifts that often had your name written right on them, waiting just for you. Because there's an excitement about that. There's, you know, an expectation because a gift is meant to be opened and accepted. An unopened gift is, is useless. And the gift of God to us in, in, in Jesus Christ is also useless unless it's received. And tragically, this Christmas, there'll be millions of people who celebrate Christmas. They'll celebrate the birth of a Savior that they've never really known. Millions will sing songs, Christmas songs, about a baby born in a manger whose gift of salvation they've never made their own. So I want to make sure you have a chance to open that gift. I want you to have the opportunity to make it your own right now. I want you to know the truth in your heart that Jesus loves you and that he came for you and that he died for you and for your sins upon the cross so that you could be forgiven. And if you want that for yourself, I would ask you just take a moment to talk to God in prayer. You tell him that you know you are a sinner who needs a savior. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross in your place and ask Him to save you and come into your heart and transform your life and ask Him to give to you those promises of hope and love and life and joy and peace that are available to you through Him. Because what better way to celebrate Christmas than by accepting the gift that God gave to us in the person of Jesus? Because that's why Jesus came. You know, I always try to read this little poem at least once a year because it's one of my favorite at Christmas time. It's called Our Greatest Need. And I think it says everything so well. It says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. And just as the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. All right. I think at this time I'm asking the worship team to come forward. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Carol. <laughs>